This episode is brought to you by Element, spelled L-M-N-T. What is Element? It's a delicious, sugar-free electrolyte drink mix. As a coach, we are constantly trying to find the best products for our athletes to train and compete at their highest level. Element is a great alternative to other commercial recovery and performance drinks and has enough sodium, potassium, and magnesium to get you feeling and performing your best. Plus, it has zero sugar, no artificial ingredients, and is gluten-free. With eight delicious flavors, you are guaranteed to find one your taste buds will love. I know our athletes love the citrus salt. We keep a variety box in the office, and our athletes stop by every day on their way to practice and games to load up. At this point, they won't even touch another product. With amazing products and sponsors like Element, our podcast would not be possible. Right now, when you click on our affiliate link and place your first Element order, Element will give us 100% commission. Element might have the best return policy on the planet. If you don't love it, you'll be instantly refunded. Our next partner has a product I use every day. I started taking Athletic Greens because I wanted a simple all-in-one solution as opposed to the ever-changing variety of supplements I have been taking for as long as I can remember. Sometimes up to three ramekins a day full of pills and powders trying to find the right formula for peak performance. Now that I've been taking Athletic Greens for a few months, I love it and I will never go back. With one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food, sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. I take one scoop in the morning on an empty stomach and an additional one in the evening when I'm feeling run down. I've seen such a difference in my own performance that I recently ordered additional AG1 for the rest of my family to use. It costs you less than $3 a day, you're investing in your health, and it's cheaper than your cold brew habit, and supports better sleep quality and recovery, in addition to mental clarity and alertness. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash contacts. Again, this is athleticgreens.com slash contacts to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Welcome to the Contacts Coaching Podcast, dedicated to bringing you practical ideas from coaches, sharing what they have learned throughout their career. The show is designed to serve as a digital database of mentorship from a wide network of coaches whose innovative, reflective, and diverse knowledge may offer ideas to enhance your experience. In addition to sport-specific expertise, each episode also dives into the ways in which culture, strategy, and tactics can cross from one discipline to another. I'm your host, Justin Klein. Welcome back to the Contacts Coaching Podcast. We are joined this evening, after hours, generously, by Paul Snow, Athletic Director at Menlo Atherton High School, and former, current, girls soccer coach 
he can talk about why it's former and current as we get into this. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. All right. So as we always start off, can you take us through your background as a coach? How did you get into this? How did you pivot into an administrative role? What were the foundational parts of your journey for bringing you into this life of service, shall we say? I guess I started as an athlete and I grew up playing a lot of different sports, but uh, soccer was my main one. I think I started when I was six years old. So then played all the way through college competitively. Didn't play for, I went to UC Davis, didn't play for their team, but uh, yeah, I did play club through, through college and then a little bit as an adult and then just uh, got my credential pretty much right away. Knew I wanted to be a teacher. Ended up in the classroom around 95 is when I started my student teaching and then did a year of subbing. And then uh, during that year of subbing, I started my first paid coaching gig at Terra Linda High School in Marin. So that was a girls JV soccer and it was a lot of fun, but uh, I wasn't ready for a full-time. I didn't know where I wanted to settle down and I really had a travel bug in me, so I joined the Peace Corps, actually, and I ended up in Bulgaria, of all places, in Eastern Europe. I met my eventually eventual wife and was very into soccer while there, but not coaching. Bulgaria is a huge soccer, very big on soccer back there then, so I got to talk about it and experience it with my students a lot while I was there. But then when I came back, started coaching right away again at Marshall Mc High School in San Francisco. And I started the boys program there. They'd had a girls program before their boys. And that was back when they had different seasons. So the boys were playing in the fall, I think, and girls in spring. So I started the boys team. I was at Marshall for four years, was their AD for two years, and then got the job at MA. I've been there since 2005. Started coaching right away, a JV girls first. And eventually, so I did three years JV and about eight years or so for the varsity. And then in the middle of that became the AD and it just became too much, the daily practices and stuff. So I kind of stepped down, hired my, my JV coach as the head coach. And then I've been helping him ever since just doing all the behind the scenes kind of stuff, managerial stuff. So I'm still an assistant coach, just not the head coach. I go to all the games, but not the practices. And it works out great because Jason can... Jason Luce is our head coach and he's, he can concentrate on the coaching and I'll do all the managerial stuff to, to retain him as a head coach. So that's my background. Love it. Thank you for sharing that. And there's a lot that I would like to talk about now that we have that background and I am going to stay in the wheelhouse of the setup here in regards to when you Traditionally, what I ask is when you first became the head coach, what did you realize right away that you needed to figure out? Same question for as an athletic director. And I'm going to come back to that because I'm way more interested in this Peace Corps journey. <laughs> and what I'm interested in, Paul, is twofold. One, what did you learn during that time, assuming it's two years like most of these placements are, that was transformational for you in a sense of, how you met the world, right? I went off and this was my lens and I came back and here was my lens. So that's one. But what I really want to know about that is how that then informed your work with student athletes and students in general as a teacher. 
Sure. Absolutely. That was a big eye-opener. I learned tons of things while in Bulgaria, of course. I had to learn the language, which was not easy. They use the Cyrillic alphabet, of course. It's very close to Russian when you hear it, but I think if you ask a Bulgarian and a Russian, they don't think they're very alike, but to, to the layperson, they're pretty similar in sounds. I learned that I can actually pick up languages pretty quickly, and I think I knew that before. At Davis, that was I was a history major at Davis and a history teacher for many years, but I picked up just very easily. It was like for history, the classes were very difficult. It was a very difficult major. My A's were in foreign languages. I took German, I took Spanish. I got to travel a little bit while in college, visiting some friends in Germany and whatnot. And so that's what kind of influenced me to even check it out. I was just roaming the halls. I went to Dominican University back when it was still called Dominican College. But uh, I was roaming the halls and I saw like a flyer for the Peace Corps. I was like, ah, I'm going to check that out. Filled out the 10 page application and didn't know a thing. I didn't even know they spoke Bulgarian <laughs> when I got placed there. I just, you choose by a region really. And I think my number two region was Eastern Europe because to be in the Peace Corps, they have an active need for you. And they needed a lot of, it was just barely out of communism. So they needed a lot of English teachers. And so I got placed there and loved it. The people were great. So much to learn. Their culture is amazing. Their history. Being a lover of history, it's unreal. It's like the fourth oldest history in the in Europe. Just seeing things that were so old was unheard of. We're from the United States with very young history compared to Europe that have been around. Some of these countries have been around 10 times the, the amount of time that the United States has been a country. So just fascinating, getting used to their people, getting used to their language, getting used to their food and falling in love with their food. And it was a simple way of life. And I loved it. I would love to go back, but we haven't in a while. Yeah, it's just, it's very culturally enriching. Enriching it was, The enrichment was great there. So what were you able to bring back after having your eyes open? Obviously, you said as an American, we're usually pretty provincial and you're going across the world and just post-communism working in that environment. What were you able to bring back as far as an awareness that maybe you hadn't had before for your teaching and coaching? Yeah. So I think being flexible, being understanding, coming more comfortable in uncomfortable situations. I had to learn everything, the language, how to take a taxi, how to send a letter. Email was pretty new back then. So I didn't even have a computer at my house. I remember actually getting my first email address while there. So just learning and new things and bringing my to the students there. Soccer was what unified me with a lot of my students. I remember going to the first few months that I was in my small town in Bulgaria, I got invited over to what was called a Nagosti. And it just means as a guest, you're a guest in somebody's home. Sometimes this happens in the United States, you get invited over and, but their dinner parties last all night. You're there for dinner is not just two hours. It's six hours. You're there and they keep feeding you and giving you their, that's in Russia, it's vodka, but there is called rakia. A lot of the countries in Europe have an alcohol that they're known for. And that one's just, it's like a grape brandy. So you just sip it with salad. So enjoying that and just the people, but bringing it back here is just taught my kids, my, my new students here all about it and about their educational system is really strict. I taught a, it's called a podgovitalin class. It's really a preparatory year after eighth grade and kind of before you go into high school, where it's just extensive English language and very strict. There's a written and a verbal test at the end of that. And if you don't pass, you basically, you lose a year and you graduate a later age because you, you just lost that. You don't 
continue into that English track. But these kids could write. Their grammar was better than some of my students when I returned. That just their their English and their mechanics. So just yeah, just t- telling my new students in America about it. We had pen pals for a long time with some of my former students. I'm still in touch with some of those former students. So just bringing back the, it's like a cultural exchange. So I was teaching my Bulgarian students while I was there about the United States. And then when I came back, it's vice versa. And then just the whole time I had a real love for coaching, <coughs> excuse me, coaching and, and whatnot. It was nice to talk about my experience there and soccer with my new soccer athletes. I appreciate that. And thanks for setting the table there. And the reason I asked that is it's a fascinating story. And as we grow and as we challenge ourselves to be lifelong learners from growth mindset with our coaches, it's like, that's a great opportunity to be, Hey, I grew up here for how many years I went there for two. And these are the things that we're able to translate right back to what we're doing here and maybe even enhance it, so to speak. But let me go back to this other question. What did you realize right away that you had to figure out? Regardless of preparation and things you thought you were prepared to do, you're never ready. But what are some of the things that you could offer our listeners who are coaches and administrators and athletes in regards to, yeah, here are the three things as a head coach you need to be aware of. Here are a couple of things as an assistant. And then once you move into the administrative role, here are the one or two things that are going to trip you up. Yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. I don't know if it's easy for me to answer or not, but some things that I really took from that is flexibility and an understanding, just an appreciation of different people. And that's what I have to deal with here a lot. I have students from all different cultures. May's motto is strength and diversity. We have so many kids from, it's not just Atherton. It's not an affluent, it is an affluent neighborhood, but it's a very diverse population. Just dealing with that and, uh, a lot of adversity, having problems, just not being able to understand people, and then have bringing that back to me as a teacher, understanding that for my students, whose language may not be, or whose first language may not be English, and just understanding them like, this is how I felt in Bulgaria. Maybe they don't understand every single word I'm saying, and just trying to really click with them in a way that they can understand what I went through as well. Yeah. What so, about just the coaching piece of it? Right now, you're back stateside and you're a head coach for the first time what are the things you realize you needed to figure out about that role you mean from my experience in the peace corps no, no not at all we're on to coaching like <coughs> you are now what'd you say you were back at marshall you were coaching there you started the boys program right that's an entry into being a head coach like what did you realize right away that you needed to figure out thinking oh this won't be that hard and oh, then all yeah. of a sudden you're the ad as well that's the question right like the people that look at it and are over there armchair quarterback in this thing, like what are the things you have to actually be aware of that you had to figure out the hard way? Yeah, no, it's a lot of trial and error. And I think there's a reason why you start at, I started with girls JV. I wasn't varsity coach right away. I didn't have the experience and whatnot. So you learn, and I was young. I was 24, maybe when I took my first head coaching job and you have to learn how to communicate well with your players, obviously, but almost more importantly is the parents, the administrators <clears throat> and whatnot. So communication remains something insanely important to me in an administrative role because it just, it solves a lot of problems before they become problems is in just 
good communication. Now I'm on email more than my wife would like me to be <laughs> just getting and sending over probably two, maybe 300 emails a day, it seems. So communication was huge. Something I had to figure out, just dedication and long hours and getting used to that. Dealing with problems, not only with kids that are complaining about playing time with their parents or just dealing with bad calls that you can't change, right? You just have to get used to all this stuff. And I think that I've grown a lot as a coach and a leader to respect our referees. I never got like red cards or anything or terribly yelled at refs. I always had a, an appreciation for them, but I could get warned so I didn't settle down. And now I'm a ref and I see the other side of it and they're never going to get all their calls. And so you kind of have to learn that over, over time. And it, I've been a coach and a now an administrator for many years, and none of this came right away. So to be clear, you are actively refereeing games right now. Not yeah. tonight, but like during the season. Yeah, not high school games because of the conflict of interest, but they probably would let me, just not in maybe a division that MA is participating right. in. So here's yeah. why I'm asking that is you and I know, and all the other athletic administrators know that there's a referee shortage for a variety of reasons primarily or at the top of the list is the way in which people seem to treat them. So can you share for all of our coaching colleagues that are listening, how that plays out when you're on the other side, since you've been on both sides, what does it look like? What are the things that coaches do that bring respect, so to speak? And what are the ones things that people do that you just tune them out and they're done and it's like they've just lost all social capital with you? Can you talk a little bit about the ways in which people can operate productively and in partnership to make the sports situation better? Yeah, absolutely. To answer your question, I am a current badge referee. I do more AY volunteer work, all levels from U10 all the way to U19. <clears throat> and mostly just on the weekends, but occasional Friday game or whatnot. And then I do some club games too, especially refing with my older brother who does it a lot more than I do, but it's not his profession by any means. He's got a real job. <laughs> and so, yeah, I'm current referee. I enjoy it quite a bit. I started with my kid who's an eighth grader now, so he's 13. I started when he started AY and have followed his age group, but there's so many things that we could do as coaches and especially administrators to show your respect and appreciation and try to help that ref shortage. So some of the things I do, and not just for soccer by any means, I'm thinking particularly about football and stuff, where you have huge events, right? With thousands of people showing up. I reserve parking for them. I communicate with them ahead of time, tell them where to park, show them where they can dress and meet, offer them water at halftime, just greet them and be a, a real human to them. Escort them off after the game, things like that. And then I've been to a few conferences that, that they have great ideas that I would love to bring that we don't do yet, but uh, having a ref appreciation day for each sport would be great. I would love to do that. And just in games, like while I'm supervising and there as the official administrator for games as the athletic director, I make sure to go to the games. First of all, you're supposed to have an administrator there. So I go to, I think there was a few girls soccer games that I missed at the varsity level because of conferences and whatnot. But just being a presence there in case it chirps up from the some, from the stands and you're there to tell them to be quiet and please respect the refs, don't talk to them. I've had to do that a few times this year and just my presence is showing 
respect for the co- the referees. That's hugely important. What about just, the interactions between coaches and officials? Can you talk a little bit about that? What works, yeah. what doesn't, how that lands, and what advice you would give for anyone listening? Yeah. So, yeah, I've had to step in in that role and play the mediator. Tell coaches to settle down and I'm on the sideline between the sideline where the coaches are and the fans so I can keep an eye on on everything. And I've had to tell coaches to, to mellow out, to, ch- to chill all the time. And even further than that, have an, an administrator, another administrator, like a vice principal and me sit in a meeting with a coach and say, look, you got a yellow card and it could have been probably a red. We need to take steps here to stop this or you're going to be gone. So have had to do that. So that's the admin hat you're wearing, coach. But what about when you're on the pitch refing and you're interacting with those coaches, right? The other hat, and got it. Yeah. I want to know like how that lands and like what advice you have, because again, on the basketball side of things, like I don't ever talk to them other than to welcome them, get them whatever they need. But it's like, I'm not here. And yet I have colleagues and really good friends of mine that are refereeing the game while they're coaching from the tip off. And it's, I'm always curious how that lands. Yeah. So on the ref side, when I'm refing and if I have problems with uh, parents, it's a lot of parents because they're right on the sideline. There's no stands. They're not in a stadium. Usually it's you're playing at rec fields and they're on one side and and the coaches and the players are on the other side. So it depends what role I'm doing. If I'm the center ref, Usually I'll hear from one of the assistant refs on the sidelines first and be like, oh, we've got an issue with parents behind us. They're trying to make calls or they're coaching from the sideline, et cetera. So I'll have to go over and tell them kindly to stop doing that. And if they don't, really it's on the coaches to control them, to control those fans. And if if they if it continues, you can give a yellow card to a coach for what the fans are doing. Uh, I haven't had to do that, not at least in, in AY. I mean, I haven't done a lot of center refereeing for a club. I do more assistant ref, but a lot of times when I'm the assistant ref on the parent side, if you're an AR1, you have to deal with the coaches. If you're AR2, you have to deal on the parent side. And I don't know which one's better. The coaches- It sounds like they both stink. Yeah, they can both get verbal, but usually the coaches know more than the parents as far as- the rules, but not all the coaches even know that. And they're not in the same position as the referee. And these are things that, you know, just last week when we were playing at a very high level, we were in the NorCal semifinal against St. Francis girls soccer. And I'm in the coaching position, not the AR position. And there was a call that was very close to a penalty kick right on the border of the penalty box. And so the coach and I were just asking the assistant referee and the referee to communicate, was that in the box? because it should have been a penalty kick in our eyes. And it looked like she got tackled two yards inside the box. And then I looked at it that night. We have the luxury of having huddle and replay. Those referees didn't. And to their credit, they got it spot on. It was not, he placed the ball right on the line, right outside the line where it was. And to the naked eye, you can't see that stuff. So we have to deal with that as a referee all the time where you're calling offside and they're, they disagree with you, but they're not on the same line or they don't know offside, you know, what it is. Yep. Yep. They no, even that's... mistakenly call it offsides. And I say, if you're calling it offsides, you don't know what offside is. Yeah. That's a great answer because to hear you say that as a guy that's out there blowing the whistle and then to have the reflection of that, we thought it was X and then we saw it and he was right is a lot of times we don't have the same angle and we were, Oh boy, what game was it the other day? Oh, it was a softball tournament. 
and oh baseball game excuse me and the throw looked like it pulled our first baseman off the bag and from where our dugout was and where the umpire was our guys thought he was out the umpire said he came off the bag i'm sitting there behind it i'm like yeah he came off the bag because where i had an angle versus where they have an angle right but it's if people could just understand everybody's doing the best they can and at the end of the day just play through it and you're going to be fine we'd be in a much better place so it's never that one play that makes or breaks the game either. Never. We ended up losing 2-0. Even if we got the penalty kick and converted it, still wouldn't have changed the outcome. And it's they're doing the best they can. I've come to respect that more than I maybe used to. Yep. But, and I love it when referees come out and just humanize themselves in the pregame and say, look, I've got two eyes between you and your bench. You've got 30 eyes. Yep. I'm not going to see everything you do. And I'm just human doing the best I can. Yeah. So that's what you have to know and really respect. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate that. Okay, pivoting. I want you to choose which hat you want to wear here, coach or athletic director. But the question is, what is the best thing you do in your program that has the largest ripple effect on the culture you're trying to create? And you can answer that from a coach role. You can answer that from an AD role. I'll go AD. And I think because I've been AD for, I think, 14 years now. 12 at MA. This is my 12th, which is longer than I've been the head coach there. Although I have been a coach for since 2005 at MA and a couple years before that at Marshall and whatnot, but four years there. But as an athletic director, I just, I try to lead by example. I work my tail off. You know this too, as an athletic administrator, but it's not an easy job. It's not heavily praised, I guess you could say. And not a lot of people understand what goes on to make the job, make it work and make an experience very positive for our, we've got like 1100 athletes at MA and 60 teams. And so I'm working long hours and I think people see that and respect my work ethic, first of all, and really just being organized and being a good communicator really helps. So with parents, they especially appreciate that I get back to them within way before 24 hours. Never let an email go further than that, unless it's something that can wait. <laughs> and they said that, right, in their statement or their question. Okay. I think those are two. There are a few things that I bring to the program that makes it successful. We have enjoyed some very successful seasons, especially in some sports. I think between me and the Krieger, the other AD, we do a great job as a team. It's pretty needy job. There's a lot of things we need to get done and not enough hours in the day. So I think we do a good job pairing up to, to get the work done. All right. Let's talk about that for a second. For those of you that didn't pick up on that, my, my fellow AD. So coach Krieger is the other athletic director at your school. You have two, which I would imagine is a unique arrangement, not singularly unique, but most places don't have to talk about the setup. Like, how do you break that down? Do you each have teams you're looking after? Is it, how do you divide the labor? What's that been like? How long has that been the case? Things that you like about it, things that you don't like about it. Educate me a little on that. Sure, yeah. So first, it's not very normal, but both Krieger and I came in with experience as being an athletic director and then just knowing the scope of the work at MA, neither of us wanted to do it by ourselves. So we split it up and we've successfully gotten it from only one free period for one of us to now we each have two free periods. So we each teach three classes. I teach credit recovery now for many years, almost 20, maybe 20 plus I did history, which was more difficult 
because there's more grading and planning and whatnot. It's difficult. And then something opened up with credit recovery, which is less grading and planning and whatnot. So I ran to the principal's office when that opened up and just begged, please, I'm going crazy with all the work. Krieger still teaches high level math. If somebody needs an answer quickly, I'm usually the one. They, a lot of times they copy both of us, but I'm, and he would admit this, I'm not bashing him by saying that I get to email quicker than he does. He's grading and planning a lot more than I am. He's doing calculus and some crazy stuff. I don't know how he does it, but I don't think we, it just naturally came this way, the way we have worked, but we don't split it up. Like I do the boys and you do the girls or anything like that. In the fall, I deal with football and he does all the other sports because football is such a beast and there's tons of coaches just in itself. So it's pretty even workload there. That's as far as coach clearance and parent emails and whatnot. We both attend all the home football games. It's important because there's so many people and usually at least another administrator or two sometimes go to those football games. In the winter, I'm an assistant coach with the girls soccer team. So I deal with all now six. We just added freshman teams. So six soccer teams I'll deal with and he does wrestling and hoops. And we might add competitive cheer next year. He can have that. <laughs> I haven't told him yet. And then well, he just did when he listens to this. Yeah, he'll be fine with it. And then in the spring, he's an active coach, a head coach of varsity boys lacrosse. And so he deals with the lacrosse programs, boys and girls. There's four teams. And I do a lot of the others as far as Coach clearance and stuff, we just, all right, I'll take track, golf, blah, 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 tennis, and you do these. So we just split it up so where it's doable. And a lot of the duties in the morning, there's a lot of meetings in the morning. So I'll cover those because I teach in the afternoon a little bit later. And so he doesn't go to as many as those, and he can't go to the conferences like I can. So I go to the national and the state conference every year. And this year I went to another one, which is for, I'm now the president of the Cal Coaches Association. And so part of that was going to another conference <laughs> and that was in the, God, it was in Georgia this year. It was an eye opener, really cool, but it was the heads of all these state organizations. It was like Georgia and tons of Southern states, but there's, I think 46 states or something. And it's called NOCAD. And that was a fun, fun trip as well. All right, so, let's talk about that for a second. Since it sounds like you get to do all the fun stuff and Krieger doesn't, he gets the short end of the stick, it sounds like, but that's okay. We'll hear from him later. Talk a little bit about the importance of the networking aspect that comes from these association groups. Because you're obviously active. You're the president of one. You serve in a bunch of different roles within the section and the state. You're now going national. When people start coaching or being an administrator, they're just trying to keep their head above water. They don't even have do what join the NABC or join the CSA. What are you talking about coach? But talk a little bit about the value of that and how it supports your continuing growth, obviously, but also some tangible takeaways that have made your life easier. No, absolutely. So obviously when I started as an AD at Marshall, I didn't know about any of these, right? I didn't know about the NIAAA. I wasn't on the board of managers of anything. And it's a much smaller league, smaller school, everything. So I started there and then eventually got to MA, a big school. I wasn't the athletic director for the first 
I don't know, at least eight years, I think that I was there. And then when it opened up, we had administrators that liked the idea of a, a partnership co-athletic director position. And so slowly, gradually, I heard about these things and loved them. So I, I didn't go to the AD conference until maybe four or five years ago. I started at the state and met Michelle Noeth, who I think you had on the pod as well. We connected and we've been networking with other coaches and athletic directors. And so I just got more and more involved. And then when you show your involvement, then you get asked to do more things. <laughs> so then all of a sudden I'm on the board of directors or yeah, board of managers for CCS. And I've done that for four years or so, but the conferences to go back to that networking is awesome. Never have I felt more respected and understood as an athletic administrator in that role. They get it right. They understand what a huge impact it has on your school to sports is big, huge 40 something percent of our athletes or 40%, I think it's 42 or something like that percent of our students at MA participate in a sport. And it would be more if we didn't have to cut in some sports to have manageable teams. Going to those conferences and going to real actual professional development that has to do with stuff you do daily, right? From real, your peers, people that have been around and experienced even more than you are. And then taking classes on things that can help solve problems before they become problems. I'm Title IX stuff. There's specific different laws you should be aware of. And there's a lot of liability that comes along with this position. So just being aware of that stuff, going to classes. I earned my CMAA, Certified Master Athletic Administrator. It's just going to a bunch of classes and conferences and trying to, you know, educate yourself through them. So going to both those conferences is huge. And then being a part of the NIAAA and the NFHS is what they do the national conference. They put that on. It's really relevant professional development that you learn something new every single year. And there's people that go to that that have been going for 40 years. And I've only been going for four. So I'm not even one with tons of experience compared to some of those people that they're now inducting into their hall of fame and stuff. So it's really cool just to meet people, talk to people from other States and to learn from them and to bring that back to your district and say what they're doing in Ohio, where they're not only a full-time AD, but they have an assistant and a secretary and they don't have to teach class. So some of that has helped. And yeah. so it's a reason we've gone from one free period to now four. Of course, Krieger and I split it. So we each have two, but yeah. And Mateo just became full-time. Nice. That's yeah. awesome. And we talked about this at the uh, meeting the other day where which districts were doing what. And it's ultimately, if everybody can move into that direction, to your point of putting out fires before they get beyond a smolder becomes a little yeah. bit easier, right? Especially when you can reply to people versus being hung up doing something else at the interim. And it's also interesting if you think about it, and then we'll set this down because we're not going to solve it on the pod. Your school administration group is full-time, yet the way in which labor is usually divided at the administrative level, uh, the people that sit in our seats are usually serving a much greater number of students, in your case, 1,100, relative to however they split up the administrative jobs under the principal at your school. Yet, still not full-time, but yeah. all good. And, and 100 plus coaches and yeah, yeah. it's so. berserk, but all good. Let me ask this um, soccer guy becomes the AD. And now you have a much wider swath of disciplines that you have to cover, be familiar with, observe, et cetera. 
what have you learned watching other sports that you have then implemented into your primary discipline soccer? So I'm at basketball, I'm watching them do X, Y, and Z, and either conceptually or specifically like, oh, that would work great out here. Because I don't think as coaches, we always look outside of the tunnel of our discipline. And this is my soapbox. Like I watch water polo practice every day and use stuff there in basketball. So what have you learned watching other sports or been able to offer your colleagues that like, hey, I watched the tennis coach do this. And I know it's the baseball team, but this is something you might want to look at. Yeah. One thing I've learned or come to know is uh, it's much easier to get ejected from a soccer game than any other sport. <laughs> <laughs> there's no real, there's a warning. Sometimes it's before the yellow card, but I mean, how many fouls can you get in basketball before you get thrown out? Uh, you get five. And then you don't even get ejected. You just get thrown out. You can't play, but it's not an right. ejection. So no, you only get ejected for doing things that warrant two technical fouls. It's That's hard true in get, soccer. It's hard to get ejected from that. But yeah, to be honest and, and serious, I learned a lot from the other sports and especially ones that I didn't grow up playing or even could play. I didn't have a water polo team at my high school. I learned a lot from that, just in movements, you know, how they sprint to the ball, how they formations, things like that. And then, yeah, I tried to learn something new from all of them. Lacrosse as well wasn't offered. I didn't, you know, it was pretty dang new here. It started in the East Coast and it's migrated slowly over and now it's huge, right? Now we got flag football coming up too and lots of new things. And every time I go to a lacrosse game, I'll sit next to one of the assistant coaches or one of the kids. I'm like, what just happened? Why did that? And just try to learn from it watch the movements, try to learn from it that we could use in soccer. It's been interesting and a fun part of the job is just going to check out other sports and then trying to bring it back to soccer in specific. With formations, it's, they don't always translate very well because you don't have the same number of people. On the, sometimes you got restrictions like in lacrosse, they can't cross certain lines and certain defenders can't go up and score goals, that kind of thing. But yeah, I try to learn from all the sports and I definitely have an appreciation for all of them. I think uh, water polo is a, that is a crazy sport, like very difficult, probably one of the more difficult ones other than I think wrestling has got to be the most taxing on your body than any other sport. But, and there's, yeah, it's just a good team aspect to all of them. Even if it's an individual sport that also competes as a team. Yep. Let me follow up with a question about what I feel is a dying breed outside of our campus, but the idea of being a multi-sport athlete in the age of sports specialization and what I like to call the youth sports industrial complex, which has messaged to, it seems this generation that you have to do one thing and only do one thing. How do you tackle that at your school? How do you, counter message against it, if that's what you believe in. But where do you see that being a challenge? This for the 2020, however we call that decade, right? But like where we are as a society and how you see that playing out. Yep. That was a good question. So I grew up as a multi-sport athlete. Soccer was my number one, but I played basketball. I played baseball through high school up until my senior year when I Wanted to play more golf. So I joined the golf team because it was free golf at a nice country club in San Luis Obispo. So got to do that. So I really respect multi-sport athletes. So at MA, we say at every single parent meeting, it's on our slides that we value multi-sport athletes. You cannot quit one sport to join the next one. When it starts up, you have to go through playoffs. If you're a varsity athlete, you make playoffs. We tell coaches you have to afford them 
a real tryout when they finish their other thing during the overlap. So we just finished, literally last week, we just finished soccer for girls. And a lot of those girls were lacrosse players. So they're missing games. And some of them, lacrosse is their first sport. They're eager to get into that sport, right? So we don't allow it. It's in the handbook that you can't quit one sport before going to the other, but you get a full tryout. And we honor our multi-sport athletes. We make a big deal of it. We call them up and give them a plaque, literally a plaque. This is for triple sport athletes, but, and they go on a perpetual plaque because there's so few of them. They go on a perpetual plaque that we put in Pride Hall that has their name and their sports and when they played them. So the, to get on that perpetual plaque, you got to be a multi-sport or three-sport athlete for your junior and senior year. And so we honor them. We make a big deal of it at our spring sports awards night. And that they also get an own individual plaque as well. So we like it. It's good to be coached by different people. You don't want to have the same one. We didn't have this problem when I was growing up. Just, you, you know, clubs weren't as influential or as prominent. So I loved soccer. It was my first and main sport, but I liked it when the season ended and I can play baseball. It was fun. I got into cycling. I was, I was doing everything except for really swimming. We didn't have a lot of pools where I grew up, so I didn't do (laughs) swimming or water polo, but I grew up near the beach. So I did some surfing and boogie boarding. All right. Let me ask you one more question and we'll wrap up. Let you get back to your family. Sure. The question is, what is something that you have most recently changed your mind on? And it doesn't have to be about sports. It doesn't have to be about your job. It can be. But I'm just always curious from a growth mindset standpoint, when people start challenging their previously held assumptions and beliefs to the point where I used to be here and now I'm over here and here's why. (laughs) Yeah, that's a difficult one. I haven't really given a lot of thought, but it goes back to our earlier conversation with just me making the transition between coaching and refing. Uh, we always joked the refs were whatever, and or that that was the dark side. So now I joke, like, I've turned to the dark side. I am now a referee, and I have a newfound respect for them because it is not easy. And it's a lot of times they're volunteer. And if they're not volunteer, they're not doing it for the money. Just our coaches aren't, and athletic directors aren't. But I've changed my mind a lot on refereeing, just understanding how difficult that job really is. And it's a lot of pressure and just dealing with that and becoming more and more comfortable, confidence and stuff. We need more refs and we need to really show them respect. And uh, just, I'm trying to bring that to our, our coaches, our kids, especially our parents to deal with this shortage and to treat them with the respect they deserve. Even if they're not getting every, it's impossible to get every call. So we work with the PCA, Positive Coaching Alliance, and we bring them in every or twice a year for our parent meetings and have them talk for half an hour about, about this, about how to treat officials, how to be, what your role is as a parent. Because if we don't want them coaching, if they want to coach, then talk to me. I'll give you a whistle and you can come help, but don't try to do it from the stands. And also don't yell at the refs from the stands. It's not your job. It's funny that... I would imagine you are a firm believer, like most of us, that role definition is probably one of the most important things you need to do as a coach and as an athlete, just to help thrive. Yet, there's so much role confusion if we don't do the same thing for the adults in our space in regards to one of my go-tos is, look, you can play ref or coach, choose. 
Like you can't do all three. And like even my own children, when they're griping after a game, that ref was like, hey, play ref coach. Like you don't That's get to it. choose. Or right. cheer. <laughs> cheer your own team. Yep, yeah. exactly. Exactly. I appreciate you being on tonight, coach. Thanks for coming on and spending time with me. Looking forward to seeing you at our next meeting and or the conference here next month. Conference next month. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Justin. Appreciate it. And your diligence in getting me on. I know that it was a busy winter. I was about four days a week doing soccer and then refing on the weekends. So I appreciate you having me. This podcast was also brought to you by teachhoops.com. As coaches, our inboxes will get flooded with noise on how to make your program better. Teachhoops.com will get you focused on what needs to get done. One thing you've heard from these podcasts is no matter the experience, you got to keep pushing yourself to be better. Coach Steve Collins will help you direct that noise. He is there to help you. He has the credentials as a coach, and he's never turned down a Teach Hoops member. Sign up for a plan at teachhoops.com and mention us at checkout. This site is here simply to help you be better. Take advantage and see you on the court. Remember, go to teachhoops.com. This episode is brought to you by Element, spelled L-M-N-T. What is Element? It's a delicious sugar-free electrolyte drink mix. As a coach, we are constantly trying to find the best products for our athletes to train and compete at their highest level. Element is a great alternative to other commercial recovery and performance drinks and has enough sodium, potassium, and magnesium to get you feeling and performing your best. Plus, it has zero sugar, no artificial ingredients, and is gluten-free. With eight delicious flavors, you're guaranteed to find one your taste buds will love. I know our athletes love the citrus salt. We keep a variety box in the office and our athletes stop by every day on their way to practice and games to load up. At this point, they won't even touch another electrolyte product. Without amazing products and sponsors like Element, our podcast would not be possible. Right now, when you click on our affiliate link and place your first Element order, Element will give us 100% commission. Last thing, Element might have the best return policy on the planet. If you don't love it, you'll be instantly refunded.